You're listening to the audio-only version of the Moe Gamer podcast. Don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on YouTube. Check moegamer.net for a link to the channel. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Moe Gamer podcast. I'm Pete Davison from moegamer.net and I'm joined once again by my good friend Chris Kasky from MrGilderPixels.com. Hi there Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing well Pete, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. It's uh, actually been a while since we've been able to speak to each other directly with the uh, various uh, business things in our respective jobs. So uh, yeah, it's going to be good to catch up on a few things and uh, plenty to talk about today. So yeah, adulthood. Yes, great fun, huh? Yeah, really fun. And the last couple of weeks, we've had the adventure of defleeing our two cats as well. So that's oh been my, fun. yes. That's that's been great fun. It's uh, more complicated than you might think. <laughs> yeah, par- parasites have a way of uh, digging in there and making life miserable, don't they? Yes, yes, but uh, yeah, we seem to have mostly resolved the problem now, at least. So they both seem much happier, which is good. Right. So uh, today, our plan is to talk a bit about the news, as usual, to start off with. Then talk a little bit about what we've been playing recently, and then our main topic for today will be. Um, how would you describe it? Sort of modern games that are channeling retro, I guess, is the yeah. way to... Homage it, was the word I've latched on to. Like, yeah, homage. Modern indie games or or non-indie games that have a like a clear sense of homage as part of their design philosophy. Um, yes, yes. Whether that's and, and... a specific franchise or a specific period or console just games that are channeling something in a very specific and targeted way yes and we'll, we'll talk a bit more about this later but this is this is more than just having pixel art graphics this yes is much much more than that fully understanding um what they're paying homage to but anyway let's begin with the news uh now i must confess i haven't been keeping a close eye on the news recently so i just went through a flurry of posting stuff that came up in uh a gaming news channel that looked vaguely interesting yesterday. So there wasn't uh, much. This is, no, no. So this is all sort of little bits and pieces. Um, but uh, I'm sure there's some stuff to talk about among there. So uh, first thing to mention is uh, a while back, uh, Microsoft announced that they are bringing uh, their f- uh, famous flight simulator series back, um, and they've released uh, a new trailer um, with real-time gameplay in 4K. It looks lovely. Um, and they've announced uh, partnerships with Airbus, the Boeing company, Cubcrafters, Daha, Daha, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, uh, Diamond Aircraft Industries, Icon Aircraft, Robin Aircraft, and Textron Aviation. So uh, people who know their stuff about aeroplanes will probably know what sort of aircraft they can expect from those. Um, so yeah, the, it sounds like the, the, the aircraft for the game are going to be released in waves. Um, we don't know if they're going to be updates or if they're going to be dlc probably dlc let's face it sure um but yeah this first wave includes commercial airliners business jets and general aviation aircraft so it sort of covers the the main basis that flight simulator has always covered yeah this 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 is looking absolutely gorgeous um and i mean for those who haven't encountered flight simulator before it is it is literally what the name says it is just a flight simulator there's no sort of goals or anything to it. it is purely a game to revel in an accurate simulation of piloting an aircraft and you're either into that or you aren't but it's it's one of those experiences that it's really good to just sort of sit back and relax with um but past installments have always been accurate enough that you can you can literally learn how to fly a real plane using them as well so 
Um, if, if you have any interest in aviation or just a nicely sort of chilled out experience where you can fly around and not really do anything, then uh, yeah, this is going to be worth keeping an eye on, I think. So uh, it's due out for Windows 10 in 2020. They haven't said when yet. And then that will be followed by an Xbox One version at a later date. And uh, chances are good this will probably be on Microsoft's Game Pass thing as well. So if you want to sort of try it out before you commit to actually owning a copy of it, that might be a good way to give it a go for yourself if you're not sure about it. All right, uh, moving on. A lot of this news is from the Xbox event that was the other day. So, uh, yeah, a lot more Xbox news than we normally talk about. Uh, uh, more us. than zero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot more than zero Xbox news. Yeah, I, I mean, neither of us have an Xbox, so it's it's not something that's usually directly relevant to us, so we don't tend to pay a lot of attention to it. But there, there were a few interesting things that came out of this event, one of which is that uh, Phil Spencer says that they're working on an Xbox One version of Final Fantasy XIV at last. Uh, so that will finally make that game even more cross-platform than it already is. It already supports um, Windows and Mac and uh, PlayStation 4. used to support PlayStation 3, but they abandoned that a couple of expansions ago with good reason um so yeah an xbox one version of final fantasy 14 is on the way so his exact quote was i wanted you to know rest assured that we will be bringing that game to xbox we have a great relationship with yoshida san and we're working through what it means to bring to xbox a cross-platform mmo that they've run for years so the challenge here has always been that microsoft's um, networks with xbox live and stuff have traditionally been quite closed and that has made it difficult to uh, work with cross-platform stuff like sure. Final Fantasy XIV, which uses its own network. But with sort of recent, a lot of recent multiplayer stuff have been sort of circumventing the whole problems with cross-platform stuff. And so, yeah, presumably they've got stuff in place now that will make that much easier to to go through. So prepare for an influx of new players. <laughs> All right, uh, continuing on, uh, Minecraft Dungeons has a release date now. That's coming in April of 2020 uh, to PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Switch. Um, yeah, so this is the uh, sort of Minecraft-inspired Diablo-like, basically, for up to four players. Um, looks like it might be quite fun. And it's um, noteworthy for being the first standalone game developed by Mojang since Minecraft. So, Oh, really? Didn't they have that like card game? Yeah, I don't think that actually scroll was that was that was that Mojang or was, I think that might have just been Notch. Oh, was it just um, Notch? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, and also I don't think it really went anywhere. It didn't really launch properly. I don't think it just yeah. sort of went into beta Early and then sort of access. fizzled out. So that's a shame. But Whatever. yeah, this um, yeah, so this looks potentially interesting. Uh, I mean, sort of action RPG Diablo likes are always a lot of fun, especially if you can get some friends together to play them. So this this could be this could be entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I get uh, commented on that like way back when it was first released, like E three, like two years ago, and I I just think it's really cool because it's an uh, excuse to kind of introduce younger players who may not really have prior been into the action rpg genre but we're minecraft yeah. fans it's like a, it's going to be like a gateway drug to, to hack and yeah, slashers yeah, for like that entire demographic <clears throat> yeah and i mean the different aesthetic is going to help as well isn't it because as much as we both enjoy diablo sort of the the, the sort of grim dark aesthetic that's got going on is quite off-putting to some people so to have something that's got, sort of got a bit more colorful and and sort of silliness about it than than diablo has is going to is going to help as well well, we're saying say, the word Diablo a lot, too. Diablo 4. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So, 
this is going to be interesting with with all the the sort of recent happenings surrounding Blizzard um, and and sort of the, the the controversy over the the Hearthstone tournament and the player getting banned and stuff. So I don't really know what to make of this yet. But um, what do you think of of what we've seen of Diablo Four? Because we've actually seen some gameplay, haven't we? Yeah, which was really great. Right? It wasn't just. Mm-hmm. I mean obviously classic diablo right we got our awesome cinematic like which was basically just like a 15 minute short film that was beautiful <laughs> um i don't know it's diablo i'm in like i'm not picky i'm not one of those like diablo 3 is the worst people like i love diablo 3 so much i don't care <laughs> like it's it's, yeah, it's yeah. fine it's diablo it's diablo 4 um the it you know they've really kind of modified the graphics and appearance they've brought back a lot of like the they, it looks like they really took the the criticisms to heart that Diablo three was a bit too like cartoony. Like three, yeah. three is four is looking a lot more like gruesome <clears throat> and dark yeah. and um, more kind of akin to the atmosphere of two, which I know a lot mm-hmm. of people had a problem with. Um, and most importantly, Druids back. So <laughs> <laughs> Druids, my boy. So I'm very excited about it. I don't know. I mean. It looks good. It looks like it's taking kind of the the crunchy action of three, darkening it up a bit. It, it looks like it's a bit more deliberate this yeah. time around, a bit less arcadey. Um, yeah, can't wait. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, from what I understand, they are sort of trying to win some of the Diablo two crowd back a bit. From what I understand, I think the progression is going to be a little bit more like Diablo two was from the sound of things. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, what they do with that and there's how been, people respond to it. There's been quite a bit of discussion around the rune words system, mm, which is yes. going to make equipment like super customizable by like creating yeah. by combining rune words to make rune phrases, um, mm-hmm. which is going to basically make like no two players equipment loads quite alike. Yeah, so that's cool. That's very exciting. Yeah, that's that's cool. It sort of will will hopefully sort of minimize the uh, the sort of. Oh, you must have this build, or you're not worth playing the game with. I hate uh, that attitude. Stuff. That sort of yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yes. Okay. So, so that is on the way. Uh, what else have we got? Um, talking. I mentioned Xbox Game Pass earlier on. Uh, a whole bunch of Final Fantasy games are coming to that uh, service at some point in the near future. If this page ever loads, and I can check what they are. There we are. Um, right. So. Um, yeah, so coming to the Xbox Game Pass subscription service are going to be Final Fantasy VII Remastered. Um, this is not the remake, it's just the remastered version. Final Fantasy VIII Remastered, Final Fantasy IX, Final Fantasy X and X-2 HD Remaster, Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age, the three Final Fantasy thirteen games, and Final Fantasy XV. Uh, and they'll be released one by one on the service throughout 2020. Um, so this is, this is cool, again, for those who haven't played previous final fantasy games and don't mind sort of um going the subscription route for them again if you sign up for xbox game pass you can actually get i think it's 20 percent off uh, actually buying your own copy of them as well so you can sort of use it as a, a means of trying them out and then picking up a copy for yourself if you prefer so uh that's neat one thing i was thinking the other day i it would be nice to see um sort of the older ones get another proper re-release that isn't the pc versions sure because the because P- the pc versions kind of suck um like it would be, it would be lovely to see um sort of the the psp version of the first two yeah. ported again just just as is because i've been playing that through um on my youtube channel and they're great they're great those are really great versions of those initial final fantasy games and they it really would be are. nice to have some um proper authentic 
no faffing around with or enhanced versions of the the SNES games as well. Just just no no enhanced graphics. Just just port the SNES versions. It's fine. That's all anyone wants. Um, so it would be nice to see that on like PlayStation Four or Switch, preferably Switch, because you know everything is best on Switch and all that. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, we've got this, which is cool. Continuing on, um, Groove Coaster YY Party with four exclamation marks uh, is now available everywhere. Um, so the, the, people were concerned this was going to be uh, Japan only originally, but it seems that it's um, it's coming out to other regions. Um, it's quite expensive; it's sixty dollars. Um, but it uh, this Groove Coaster is an amazing rhythm game. If you've never played it, uh, it originally came out on I think it was iOS. And it's it's very sort of abstract in presentation, but it has great music, really nice, interesting mechanics, and it's one of those rhythm games that you really sort of get in the zone while you're playing. It's really exciting and fun to play. So, um, and uh, Groove Coaster YY Party includes all sorts of songs from various series, and it's got stuff from Vocaloids in there, and it's even got stuff from uh, virtual YouTubers in there as well. So, it's a real sort of celebration of online music culture in a lot of ways. I think I also remember reading that there was Undertale DLC for Groove Coaster. Yes, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that. So, um, this appears to be now available on the Switch eShop. Not sure about other platforms offhand, but yeah, $60 on the Switch eShop at the minute. So, if you want to check that out, that is now there for you to have a go. Um, so, yeah, like I say, I can highly recommend Groove Coaster. I mean, that is quite pricey, uh, as I say, but it's, it's a really good game. So... I think it's probably unavoidable because of the licensed <coughs> nature of the music yes, that's in it. Yeah, almost certainly, almost certainly. And um, <clears throat> also, when when you buy games like this on the Switch, you often tend to get a lot of content that was sold quite piecemeal on other platforms as well. Like there's a game called Muse Dash on Switch, and it's a lot more expensive on Switch than on Steam and on mobile because the Switch version has sort of all the songs included with it. Mm -hmm. Whereas on, on, on Steam and on mobile, you have to sort of buy individual packs of songs and stuff. So um, yeah, it may well be a situation like that. I haven't looked into it in further detail yet, but uh, it is there. Um, Continuing on, we got some new arcade archives releases coming along soon, which is In the Hunt, Twin Bee, Bells and Whistles, Hyper Olympics, and Frogger. Uh, now, you were very excited about In the Hunt, weren't you? So tell me a little bit about this. Uh, so yeah, In the Hunt is just this beautiful uh, horizontal shmup, but it's exciting because it's submarine-themed instead of okay. spaceships. So it's just kind of a whole different world, and it's... It's IRAM, uh, classic IRAM game from the, just from these, there was this very specific era where IRAM was making these almost painfully detailed pixel art games. Um, and in the hunt is one of them. Just, it, it has this unmatched aesthetic. Um, and there's just something delightful about playing as a submarine and having the um, like depth charges and bubbles come up out of you know, like your yeah your your torpedoes launch out and like the bubbles come out the back of them and it's it's just awesome. It's like the people the people who made in the hunt um, would eventually go on to make Metal Slug for SNK. Yeah. So, so yeah. it's it's got a very strong legacy. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just 
delightful. And it's, uh, you know, as, as often, like, the weird stuff I often bring up here, um, owning a copy of In the Hunt is a very precarious proposition. <laughs> so, like, I'm looking online, and the U.S. Saturn versions complete are going from between $1 and $200 based on condition. Mm-hmm. Play, the PlayStation version, complete over $100. Disc only in a crappy slim jewel case $50 like it's yeah. it's a it's a very difficult game to get your hands on uh, but very very worth it except for not yeah. not the PlayStation version because PlayStation just couldn't handle 2D to save its life compared to the Saturn no no all right cool but yeah, keep an eye out for that then it's just a great opportunity to play a really beautiful and unique shmup that not a lot of people have played in the modern landscape yeah, cool. So, uh, let me just have a look. I haven't got a date on those yet, I don't think. So, yeah, these these are just coming soon. Um, so, and like most of the other Arcade Archives releases, those will almost certainly be on uh, Switch, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. So, keep an eye out for them to, soon. They seem to sort of release new installments in that series most weeks at the moment. So, um, yeah, these will probably trickle out over the course of the next couple of months or so, I imagine. It's also interesting that they're doing a, tw- a twin B game. Where, you know, we don't get we don't get those very often in the West, um, and that that's, yeah. it's kind of <clears throat> twin B is very much this um, like blind spot in the West for you know Konami's history. Um, twin B has just been so important to Konami throughout the years, and it's just never really been had a presence yeah. in the West. So, once again, yeah. from a historical perspective, it's going to be great to have these accessible again for modern audiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool. All right. Uh, continuing on, we've had a few more details of the Sega Ages version of Fantasy Zone, which is on the way. Um, so this is going to include several additional mechanics on top of the base game, as with most of the other Sega Ages releases. Uh, this one is specifically based on the 3DS version, so it's uh, it includes a lot of the enhancements from that. Um, there's a coin stock system. Um, where you can sort of stock up on coins and, and start games um, with with boosted shots and that sort of thing. Uh, there's extra bosses in the game drawn from the Master System version, but they've been um, enhanced to full arcade quality. Uh, but you can also turn them off if you just want the original arcade version. Um, there's a mode called Upa Upa mode, where instead of playing as Upa Upa, you play as Upa Upa, his brother. Um, in that <laughs> mode, you don't have shops, and you start with the coins that are in that coin stock system. Uh, there's a different ending to it, and, and that sort of thing as well, so it's a different way to play through the game. Uh, there's a time attack mode, where you race against other players to get through the arcade mode as fast as possible, and you play that mode with infinite lives, so it's just about doing it as quickly as you can. Um it's got both the original and the American versions of the arcade game, which are a little bit different as well. And then there's all the standard additional features that Sega Ages versions have, like online rankings and saveable replays and that sort of thing as well. So yeah, as always, this looks like this is going to be a really nice port of uh, a classic game. Fantasy Zone, not a game I know very well, so this is one I'm going to pick up so I can get to know it a bit better. You're going to be um, done once you play it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Fantasy Zone is one of those games where it's just like, my friends and I love to play it. Like, I don't know why, but there's a really, like, pleasant social component to it. Like, mm-hmm. trying to, like, you know, take turns with it and stuff. I don't know. I, I have a real soft spot in my heart for it. It was one of the first Sega Ages titles I ever acquired, too. The import Saturn version of the Sega Ages oh, yeah. release of Fantasy Zone. Yeah. I just love these games. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that is currently on the way. Again, don't see a date for this offhand. Uh, it just says soon for this one. So again, Sega Ages ones sort of seem to trickle out every few weeks. And normally they tend to sort of stealth release. So you just sort of look at the eShop one day and you're like, oh, that's out. <laughs> so yeah, just keep an eye on the, uh, on the Switch eShop for that one. Uh, okay, we've had uh, a few more details for the Trials of Mana remake as well, um, which includes a whole bunch of information about some of the characters and legendary creatures and uh, class system and stuff that's in the game. So, yeah, a lot of interesting sounding mechanics um, in this. So, sort of the, the class changing system sounds uh, pretty cool. So, um, sort of playing through a, a mana game with switchable jobs and that sort of thing and giving you new abilities and different attack and defense powers and that sort of thing and there's light and dark paths for the uh the classes as well depending on how you want to develop them and then in true sort of squaresoft tradition all of the different classes and their light and dark variations all get different costumes and stuff so yeah lots of customizability coming here as well i think have you had a chance to play um um, Trials of Mana yet the um, the port that was in Collection of Mana uh, no <laughs> have you had a chance to play anything recently yes <laughs> yes I promise I no. actually more than re lately I'm yeah no I I, I can't really talk because I've had Collection of Mana on my shelf for a while and haven't touched it yet so but uh, yeah. I'm pretty ashamed of myself for not having played it considering the big hullabaloo I made about its existence <laughs> but I'm just happy to yeah. be able to own it Oh god, yeah. I'm just looking at the art on this article. Mm -hmm. Like, Flamey is like one of my favorite game design, character designs, mm -hmm. e like ever. Like, ever, ever, ever. I love yeah. him so much. <laughs> Ugh, I love these games. I can see several, several girls you will like here. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh I know, I know, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think... Yeah, I'm I'm pretty into Angela. Yeah, well, how, how could you how could you not be? It's pretty much. Yeah, yeah, they, they, these games are great. I I just can't wait to. Yeah. Finally, dig into three, but right now I'm too busy schlepping boxes across a post-apocalyptic <laughs> landscape. To... Oh well. Yeah, sometimes you've got to get on what's current, haven't you? So, yeah. like you say, it's not as if it's not as if those are going away anywhere. So, you can uh, jump into them when, when, if it ever gets quiet again. It's the magic <laughs> of collecting physically. That game is mine, so I can yes. play it whenever I wish. Yes, indeed. Okay, uh, continuing on, uh, we've got a new Toho game, which is uh, Genso Skydrift, uh, which is launching on Switch and PC. Uh, via Steam on December the 12th. Uh, this is a Toho racing game. Um, so, and it appears to be um, vaguely sort of Double Dash inspired, but uh, your partner character is your vehicle. <laughs> yeah, I, I clicked on the footage of this and I'm like, are they riding other people? Yes. Are yes, the they vehicles are. other people? <laughs> the answer is yes. yes. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. So, um, yeah, so there's a roster of, of 20 uh, Toho characters in this. Um, and so sort of one one rides the other one. Um, and you can you can swap positions mid-match. So you can sort of swap the swap the characters around so the other one is uh, on the bottom, so to speak. And, um, yeah, each of them uh, sort of have their own strengths and weaknesses and handling and special weapons and that sort of thing. 
There's 15 stages um, with pulse-pounding music, apparently. Toho's got pretty cool, pretty cool music, so um, both from from the original creator and from the huge remix culture that surrounds Toho as a phenomenon. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't doubt that there will be some good music in this as well. Uh, and there's story versus and time attack modes in this and uh, up to eight-player online matches as well. So yeah, this is going to be interesting to see. Um, the, the the Toho fans that I know seem quite excited about this. So because it, it's it's basically sort of a Toho fan service game, um, which is which is great. So a, a, another way of celebrating these characters. We've talked about this before about how certain franchises have strong enough cast of characters that they can do whatever they want with these characters, and it and it's enjoyable. And Toho is definitely one of those. Yeah, at this point, no doubt. So yeah, that's uh, that's looking cool. That so that is due in uh, early December, December the twelfth. Uh, moving on. Um, oh god, I've got to pronounce this again. Crawler uh, <laughs> Sig- Sigma um, is uh, getting re-released on PC uh, with the stuff that was added to the console versions. Uh, that's coming on November nineteenth. So that's very soon. By the time you'll hear this, um, I think it's going to be a free update. Oh no! Beg your pardon. Not free update. It is. It is. You have to buy it again. But if you already own the original Crawler Sigma, you get a sixty percent off the new one, which can be stacked on top of the forty percent off sale sale price, which it will launch with. So you you can get the sort of update for not very much money, from the sound of things. Um, this is a really cool game. It's inspired by um, the Bloody Palace mode in the Devil May Cry games. Uh, so it's all sort of uh, arena-based combat. Um, strong focus on chaining attacks and kills together and cancelling moves into each other and that sort of thing. And it's it, it looks really simple when you first start playing it, but there's this really appealing um, sort of sense of, of technical flowing combat to it. It's a really fun game. And the, the updates to the console versions that they added are pretty significant. So... Yeah, I, I understand why they're doing this as, as a as a paid update. It's a shame it's not free, but uh, as I say, if you get sixty percent off for owning the original and and then forty percent off for the launch sale as well, you shouldn't have to pay very much for this anyway. So, have you played this at all? I have not. Um, mm. I would like to. I miss yeah. I miss the opportunity to, when they had the physical version on um, on limited run a while back. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I'm hoping I'm I'm kind of waiting out to see if the Switch version gets this, a similar treatment. Yes, and then I'll yes. finally pick it up. Yeah, yeah. So so this is a fun game. I, I I played it back when it first came out on PC, and then I played the PS4 version when it was on PlayStation Plus, I think. And it's yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and it's it's sort of developed and refined itself over time. And yeah, it's it's in a really good place now. It's a really fun sort of arena-based combat game. So uh, yeah, be be sure to check that out. Uh, continuing on, uh, we've got confirmation that the physical copies of Mary Skelter 2, um, which are going to be quite limited in quantity, I think, um, are they will have both Mary Skelter games on the cartridge. Yes. So, so it's not a case of you get Mary Skelter 2 on the cartridge and then have to download the first one. They're both there on the cartridge, so the physical copy is complete, which is fantastic news. Yes. Uh, even though I've, I've already got a copy of the Vita version that I haven't touched yet, but uh, yeah, it would be nice to have them both on Switch ready to go. So The only caveat, which is weird, the way the games are set up on the the game, and this was true of the Japanese version too, um, uh, you have to beat the second one to unlock the first one. Oh, really? That's strange. Yeah, 
Yeah, but if you download the first one, it'll unlock the ability to play it first. Oh, the the article I got in front of me here says that there's there's free DLC to unlock it rather than having yeah, to download yes. the whole game. Yeah. So. so the game is on the cart, but you do have to download a bit of an update to to to, right. to, ex- to have the option to access the yeah. first one first if you want to yeah. play them in proper order. But but okay. the actual data is there on the cart itself. So yeah. It's a very complete yeah. package. That's cool. So the physical copies of this are going to be sold through limited run games, and the pre-orders are opening on November the 26th and running until January the 10th. It'll be $50. Um, the digital version is $40. Um, we don't know as yet, I don't think, if uh, Isaiah Factory International are going to do a run on this, because um, the Azure Lane game that is coming out next year the american version of that is being distributed through limited run games but the european version is going through idea factory international Mm. um so i don't know if that's going to happen the same with this um they haven't said anything about this and um idea factory have apparently been quoted as saying that there's no plans for a collector's edition for this title either so uh, but that may well change in the future so keep an eye out for things um either way yeah physical version of that great news Okay, carrying on and vaguely relevant to what we'll be talking about later on, there's a bunch of Shovel Knight stuff releasing on December the 10th of this year. Uh, so that includes Shovel Knight King of Cards and Shovel Knight Showdown. Uh, so King of Cards is the standalone expansion for Shovel Knight, uh, and then Shovel Knight Showdown is a local multiplayer game. Um, and this is coming for platforms pretty much everything from yeah. the sound of things except 3ds and vita but you know who cares yeah. at this point <laughs> yeah unfortunately the big news here too is that the physical release of treasure trove for the switch at least has a established release date also of december 10th and, oh yes and yeah. um yacht club the developers have confirmed that the cart has everything on it yeah. So this is a definitive so, collection of the past five years of Shovel Knight. All nice. all three standalone... The original game with all enhancements, all three standalone expansions, and the fighting game are all on, nice. on cart. They've, and they've said, obviously, if there's glitches and patches, they can't control that, and they're going to fix them. So, you know, they, they can't say there will be no updates ever, but mm-hmm. this, this is going to be an ownable complete archive of the past five years of the entire shovel knight franchise fantastic yeah might have to pick that up myself because uh, yeah shovel knight i haven't actually got around to playing yet so this is uh, clearly the time to to take a look at it yes it's Very nice. gonna be super exciting um yeah and there's uh, some new amiibo coming as well yeah. uh there's a, uh, a gold Shovel Knight coming out as a standalone one, and then there's a three-pack including King Knight, Plague Knight, and Spectre Knight. Um, so yeah, if you want some more stuff to clutter your shelves up with, then there you go. Yeah, yeah. They're they're really nice. The sculpts on them are really mm. nice. I mean, that's yeah. nothing new for Amiibo, but um, they're very they're very cool. Yeah. Cool. All right, uh, one you posted here that I haven't looked at yet. Uh, Wattam will help you reconnect people on December the 17th of 2019. So this is uh, a new game from uh, Katamari Damacy creator Keita Takahashi. Yes. Uh, and it's about uh, giving gifts and having fun together with huge colourful explosions, apparently. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's that's all that we know about it, really. Uh, it looks very much like Katamari. It's got that distinctive Takahashi style about it with sort of pastel colours and sort of stylized things. And, yeah, no idea what's going on with this, but, you know, Takahashi's always a good time, isn't it? Yeah, my impression is that it's probably going to be an experience pretty akin to what Nobby Nobby Boy was. Yes. Kind of a yeah. non-game game where it's more about... I mean, this is, this is Takahashi's like focus is developing these kind of digital playgrounds that are less about goals and pressure um and just creating these these play spaces in a digital sphere so yeah that's that's the feeling i'm getting from this is it's going to be kind of that with a heavy social component yeah 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 so that sounds interesting so that's uh, december the 17th that is coming out and it's coming to playstation 4 and pc via the epic game store boo here so i don't want to use epic game store blah, 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 whatever <laughs> um <laughs> um but yeah yeah so uh, intrigued to see that because i actually quite like nobi nobi boy um Me too. it was very very odd but it was that kind of thing that you just sort of you just sort of really enjoy playing with because it had a really nice sense of um I don't know if tactile is the right word, but it's it, you, you just sort of really felt like you were kind of wrapping around things and, and pulling things around and that sort of thing. And I suppose the Katamari series has always been pretty good at that as well. But it, yeah, it just felt nice to play with that game. So it's a great. It was a, always be similar. A great game for company. Like Nobby Nobby yes. Boy was always something I would fire up when like I had people over who maybe weren't huge gamers and we just wanted to like have fun and experiment with something silly and like it was one of those games you could like make memories out of and like laugh and yeah. just like the silly impromptu things that would happen yeah yeah definitely okay and then the final bit of news we got today is that uh arc of alchemist uh which is the the new one from compile heart um the switch version with its new features that have been added uh, is going to be available everywhere so um the Originally, there was a, a PS4 version of this, and the Switch version has got a bunch of enhancements, such as being able to switch to the other playable characters, uh, improved UI, more facilities at bases, more items to collect, and so on. So it sounds like this Switch version is going to be um, the definitive way to experience this, and it's going to get a physical release as well. So looking forward to this, because this looks like a lot of fun. It's got a lovely sort of stylized, sort of vaguely dumpy appearance to the characters, and yeah, it just look, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Ooh, so, did we get it? Wait. You're, oh, yeah, European physical and digital. I'm going to have to import this. Yeah. I really want yeah, this game. So, it looks great. It looks so up yeah. my alley. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, this is looking like early 2020 for this one. So there's going to be a, a whole bunch of Idea Factory stuff coming out in early 2020 because we've got uh, the Azure Lane game coming out around then as well. So keep an eye out for those. All right, I think that's everything. Anything else you want to bring up before we move on? No, no, I think that's it. Um, not a whole heck of a lot going on. We're approaching the holiday season, right? This is kind of yeah. a lull time for news. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, a lot of the big stuff has already come out, and I, we will talk about some of that in the next segment. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be going to be a bit of a lull until probably the new year at this point. But, uh, I mean, there might be some nice sales and stuff coming up, so keep an eye out on the various storefronts for that. Anyway, okay, let's take a short break then and we'll come back and we'll talk about what we've been playing lately. So see you in a moment.
Welcome back. For our second segment, we like to talk about what we've been playing recently, and we've both been playing stuff. We've both been playing some quite big-name games recently as well. So, Chris, would you like to start? Yeah, I guess I can talk to you all about my new part-time job um, <laughs> as a courier in a post-apocalyptic landscape. Um, I've been playing a ton of Death Stranding, mm-hmm. uh, an, al- an almost record amount of playing video games for me. Um, Death Stranding came out last Friday. Uh, and I've already logged like 16 hours, which is Good pretty, cr- which Lord. is crazy for me. It's not crazy for normal people who like video games, but with everything I have going on, that's a lot for me. So I've been digging in pretty deep into this bad boy. Um, still not sure if I actually like it or, <laughs> or, or, or if it's a good game, but it is a super interesting game with a lot to say about game design. Um, it's definitely, Kojism's most postmodern work. Um, yeah. This this game does not care if you're not having fun, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's just it's just a really interesting artifact. And I don't even know if I can really do it justice, giving it like twenty minutes, ten, fifteen, twenty minutes of lip service. Like I could talk mm-hmm. about this game for a very long time, um, but it essentially just doesn't care about what a video game is or traditionally should be. Yeah. Um, it just need, you have to be able to engage with it on its own terms. And during the early stages of playing it, I was really quite unhappy with it until I stopped myself and reminded myself of our key philosophy, which is you have to engage with it on its own terms. And once yeah. I started playing it the way it wanted to be played and, and understanding and thinking about its concepts the way it wanted me to, um, then I really started becoming addicted to it. Now I think about it all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so uh, for those of us who are unaware or haven't watched footage, uh, Death Stranding is essentially a game about delivering packages. Um, the The main point of the game being that you are not a soldier, right? You're not a soldier. You're not a warrior. Mm-hmm. You are a courier. You are a man who is very good at delivering packages uh, between point A to point B in this post-apocalyptic world. Um, And the main thing being that you have a unique gift um, that is extremely rare that um, you can't really die. Um, Mm -hmm. Because in in the world, there's these these ghosts from like the other world that will chase you and try to kill you. and what happens is if one of these ghosts connects with you and it pulls you into the other world, there's basically a nuclear explosion called a void out mm-hmm. that can destroy entire cities. So if just, if, just, if just one person gets caught by these ghosts, the, enti- the entire city they're in can be destroyed. <laughs> like, like, mi- like millions of people will die. Yeah. If just if just one person gets caught by these ghosts. Um so you are in a unique position to be this courier because if they get you if they get you this doesn't happen. Right. So like you're the only man who can safely deliver medicine and supplies between these underground bunkers to keep humanity running. Okay. Um so that's what you do. You go to bunker A and bunker A is like uh, Listen, my 3D printer is working. My 3D printer has made a lot of repair parts that they need in the next bunker. Like, please take them there. Um, it's our hope that the package will arrive at with less than 50% damage. Uh, and then you have to do everything in your power to get it there. Be it mm-hmm. climbing a mountain, forging across a river, um, 
fighting your way through a camp of smugglers who are going to try to take the package from you. Um, just whatever it takes to get that package there in good condition. And you get them those materials and those pieces, and then they may be able to fix their 3D printer, and there might be an engineer in their camp who can make a new type of motorcycle for you to make the next job easier. It's just yeah. it's just all about connecting people so that their lives can be better, and then in their way, they can then make your job easier by creating yeah. those connections. Hmm. Um, then there's a very heavy asynchronous multiplayer component, um, which feels a little inspired by the Souls games in some ways. So, like, Im- imagine... Imagine how, like, you could leave the messages in the Souls games. Now, imagine if you could actually do things besides leaving messages that would actually make other people's lives better yeah so you might have an excess of metals um you so you might leave a bridge across a river and Mm. then that and then that might appear in my game to make my next delivery easier oh that's cool so it's it's a completely collaborative asynchronous multiplayer where you're building devices structures (laughs) safe houses um all in the instance of helping yourself and then that trickles down into making other people's experience better or easier yeah okay is that stuff permanent or does it just sort of randomly crop up in different people's games so it's kind of random but also it's not permanent uh so like one of the factors in the game that's part of the narrative is something called time fall which is um basically um rain um Anything that touches rain ages rapidly. Okay. So structures in the world don't last because the rain essentially degrades them and corrodes them until they age and fall apart. So it's something you have to deal with because you have to worry about the condition of your packages. Okay. Like if if it's raining, you have to seek shelter or you have to carry uh, materials to repair your containers after they've been rained on. Um, but that also means that structures that you build, unless you're returning to them to repair them or enhance them with materials or build up their resistance to the rain through uh, leveled upgrades, like they will eventually degrade and not be there anymore. So the world right. is always kind of cycling because of okay. this. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, full of fascinating concepts, but just not a traditional game in any way, shape, or form. Mm. Um, yeah. the, com- the combat is abysmal. Um, on on purpose because you're not a soldier right you're 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 fighting to survive and your goal is not to really kill anything so much as it is just to get out of a bad situation so you can survive to make your delivery happen um there are like i mentioned like terrorist and smuggler camps and and you can clear them out in order to get access to the, the you know claim back the stuff they've stolen and also make other people's lives easier by clearing that path but they'll eventually respawn because you yeah. can't kill them right because it's part of the narrative that if you if anyone dies in this world it causes one of those void outs right so there is no death mm-hmm. like everything you do even when fighting human opponents is non-lethal you you mm-hmm. subdue you subdue guys and tie them up or tranquilize them, right? Like I got the first quote gun on end quote, but it's just a bola gun that launches yeah. a, restra- a restraint so that you can escape. Okay. It's not there's no death because uh, you people can't die. It's dev it's devastating if anyone dies in this world. Mm-hmm. Like if 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 someone dies of natural causes, 
like they have to hire a courier to take the body miles away from the city to an incinerator yeah before the body causes an explosion right like so like Kojima has baked into the narrative of this world this idea that like we need to stop killing each other, even our antagonists, because yeah. every when we kill, it's devastating to the mm-hmm. world around us. Uh, it's so like all these philosophical notions of like connections and, and helping instead of hindering one another. It's all baked into the story. Kind mm-hmm. of the, the the nature of man is to connect and to help. It's really fascinating. Cool. I'm glad this has come out really well because I, I know a lot of people that were sort of cynical and thinking this was never going to come out or it was going to be absolute garbage or that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I've been I've been trying to avoid spoilers as much as possible, but I know that they're, they're going to be unavoidable. So I'm, I'm sure. but I'm happy to happy to hear some, some some stuff about it, and it sounds absolutely fascinating. It's it a really like, interesting game. Sounds like yeah, proper proper full on Kojima doing what he does best, which is to sort of explore various sort of philosophical concepts and things about society and that sort of thing through interesting and often unconventional gameplay things so yeah it feels it also feels very yoko taro at times Mm. yeah um just this sadness that like suffuses like every inch of this game um it's really it's really challenging sometimes to deal with like Mm -hmm. This because this is a very like this isn't a bombastic post-apocalypse, right? Yeah, like this is a post-apocalypse that happened a long time ago. So yeah. like this is just how these people live now. Yeah, and like you know, like you meet people who've never been outside of the bunkers, you know, like who grew up and were born and raised in the bunkers and never left. Yeah, um, and it's so it's kind it's kind of an exploration of that. Right? Like this isn't Mad Max. We're not like driving jeeps across the desert to like shoot rocket launchers at each other like Mm -hmm. people are barely holding on they don't have the things they need to survive because this has been happening for so long Mm -hmm. um so it's it's a really sad and kind of mellow look at this kind of world where everything's gone to shit Um, yeah and you and you are the a a beacon of hope in that for people Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I'm, I'm not generally huge on post-apocalyptic stuff in, in general, but but that sort of approach that you're describing there is what I prefer. Like, I, I'm really tired of the sort of Mad Max-style stuff. It's why I don't really enjoy sort of the, the Fallout series that much either. Sure. Because that's all sort of like, oh, mutants and big creatures and people on motorbikes and that sort of thing. And no, I, I just prefer the, the, sort of, the sort of melancholy atmosphere of everything got completely fucked a long time ago and there's nothing that anyone can do about it but there's still some people who survived and they're just having to deal with it and that sort of thing and yeah. like you say like you say um yokotaro has always been very good at that and yeah this the, I, I can see why you're making that connection with this as well cool yeah yeah it's worth i mean i mean the major caveat is if you don't like open world games you're not gonna like this one uh, be, <laughs> because this is for all of its things it does special, it's very much an open world game. It's yeah. just huge, empty expanses of nothing to do. And mm-hmm. because and because all of humanity lives in bunkers, like you don't see people, you don't meet people. Any people you meet are occasionally you'll see other couriers doing their job and you can like wave to them. But like yeah. the everyone you deal with is a hologram because everyone's holed up in their bunkers. Like 
you meet very few people you interact with very few people um mm-hmm. the na- the narrative just drives on when you reach certain milestones but otherwise you're just in this super bleak super empty open world just running boxes back and forth mm. um so it, it there is like i find as much as i'm enjoying it i can't really play it for more than maybe two hours at a time or else i start yeah. to get pretty frustrated and bored with it yeah. i have to pace myself with it mm-hmm. yeah it's it's interesting because i mean some of that is going to come from mechanical frustration but i imagine it's it's quite emotionally exhausting as well to deal with it that. is yeah, it is, and and what one of the things that makes it challenging, and I think this is one of the things that puts off a lot of people, um, is that there's never a moment in Death Stranding that you feel powerful, right? So yeah. in other open world games, because I like I like traditional Western open world games, like I have all the Assassin's Creeds, right? But like mm-hmm. in Assassin's Creed, you feel powerful. Like, yeah. you've got your weapons, you've upgraded your stuff, you're sneaking around, you're taking guys out. When you get in these combat situations, you've got all the tools and moves necessary to get yourself out, to look cool and feel cool. There is never a time in Death Stranding where that's the case. Yeah. You're, you're always woefully under-equipped, under-equipped, and you're trying to protect the goods you're carrying. And when you're carrying 170 kilos of metal boxes on your back um you get hit once you fall over all your boxes scatter then you have to make a split decision do i fight back um do i run to save my life and and risk having all the packages get stolen by the smugglers do i try to fight them knowing that there's six of them and they can probably take me down in seconds because they've all got cattle prods and all i have is a rope like Mm -hmm. you never feel equipped for a situation you're in yeah and that's that's a very different dynamic than what most people are used used to in a game yeah definitely that sounds really interesting so yeah, cool. that's Death Stranding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, shall I contrast that then with uh, with Pokemon? Please do. <laughs> yes, please do. Yeah. So I picked up Pokemon Sword uh, yesterday. I had it pre-order for a while and it arrived on release day, which was nice. But I arrived just as my lunchtime was finishing at work, so uh, I would I wasn't able to nip home and pick it up for a quick play but uh yeah i spent uh, a lot of the evening playing it and i've spent a bit of bit of this morning playing it as well and it's it's lovely it's lovely it is simply a nice comfy colorful enjoyable game it's exactly what a pokemon game should be it's uh sort of uh young young pokemon trainer going out on an adventure going with their best friend meeting people having pokemon battles finding things that sort of thing it, it's just lovely it's it's one of those games that you just sort of play with a big smile on your face and it's really enjoyable um i haven't been sort of huge into pokemon in the past not because i don't like them or anything like that they've just sort of never been a big priority for me but i i jumped on um pokemon y a while back and didn't love it I, I don't think I sort of gave it enough of a chance, but I didn't love Pokemon Y, and I understand that there's sort of people out there who, who generally didn't think Pokemon X and Y were quite as good as some of the other ones. But I, I really enjoyed Moon um, when that came out. And again, I know some people didn't like that one because of its strong emphasis on sort of story and lots of cutscenes and that sort of thing, and people thought it held your hand a bit too much. 
but at the same time for people like me uh moon works really well because because it held your hand a bit for people who weren't overly familiar with pokemon it gave you some good suggestions as to what to do and how to do that sort of thing what pokemon sword and shield do is that they it sort of seems to strike quite a good balance between those approaches so in a lot of situations if you sort of um if you sort of display your knowledge about something like say type matchups it'll just skip the the tutorials that it would have given you at that point so like oh that's your first your first few rival battles like if you if you if you know that you've got school bunny who is fire and you're fighting against um uh what's it called grookey who's the grass type and if you use the fire type move on him that's a type advantage like if you exhibit that your your rival will acknowledge that and then he knows that he doesn't need to explain type matchups to you because you've just shown that you know how to do it and there's also sort of bits throughout the game where you meet up with people like uh sonia and she will explain stuff to you and she'll say oh do you, do you want to hear the whole story or do you just want to hear the short version and like you have the option of hearing the short version if you want to as well so that's the best of both worlds kind yeah. of scenario so it's, it's really sort of taken on board a lot of things that that people have said about it which is nice um so yeah really enjoying it so far um i am just i've just sort of got up to the the first big town which is a sort of um it's a sort of big industrial town um it's appeared in a lot of the trailers it's the one with sort of the the high brick walls and sort of the 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 steam wheels and that sort of thing and sort of the scale of it is really impressive but uh sort of the overall feel of the game is very much like um the old pokemon games mm-hmm. there's kind of a, a distinction between um sort of the towns and the routes and the uh, the wild areas um so you sort of have a quick trip through the first wild area on your way to this first town and that sort of shows that things are going to be very different this is a big open area that you can explore you can find things there's lots of pokemon around um but when you are in towns or when you're on the the sort of properly organized routes and stuff it plays a lot more like the older pokemon so almost almost like it's playing in 2d um so there's sort of a distinction between those two different styles of play there and the ability to kind of switch back and forth between them according to what you want to do so the wild areas are very much designed to be a good place to go and explore and catch lots of new pokemon and sort of test your skills against different challenges and find items and that sort of thing and then when you want to make more sort of more structured progress you go into one of the towns you follow one of the routes that sort of thing so again it's a sort of best of both worlds approach rather than sort of sort of taking one and sticking with it which is quite interesting um i haven't done a ton in the wild area yet but it's uh, it's quite interesting to see that while you're wandering around uh, if you connect to the internet you can sort of actually see other players wandering around and riding their bikes and sort of looking in pokemon dens and stuff and you can walk up and talk to them and they'll give you items and um you've got a sort of um it's called the wycom system which sort of automatically sends messages out when people are doing stuff it's a little bit like um if you remember in xenoblade x there was the um the report system where stuff appeared in the corner of the screen when you did stuff automatically so okay. rather than rather than a, rather than a, a sort of actual chat system you had um sort of things automatically popping up when did when when things happened and in certain cases you can click on those things like if someone starts a uh, one of the co-op raid battles you can click on their um their message to go and join that battle and and, and help them out on that sort of thing as well so 
there's a, a strong social component to it, but you can turn that off completely if you want to as well. You can just play it in local wireless mode, which means I, the only messages you will appear from people who are actually nearby to you. Um, so if you don't want sort of the interruptions from other people online, yeah, you can turn that off altogether. Again, best of both worlds. That seems to be a sort of a big thing with this game. It's sort of you can kind of customize the experience to how you want to play it so if you want a very social experience with lots of other people and seeing what other people are up to you can have that if you just want to enjoy it for yourself you can do that too which is which is super cool that sounds and, great yeah lots of nice quality of life improvements uh so sort of um things like um the interface while you're in battle and stuff you can sort of clearly see how much various stats have been raised and lowered and stuff which is always something that bugged me a bit in the old pokemons it was quite difficult to find that information like your defense um, has been lowered but yes by by how much <laughs> what so what does that mean yeah so so now so, so so the message that pops up is still that your defense falls but you can pop up an info screen and you can see that like your defense has been lowered by like five arrows worth or whatever and that's that that sort of gives you a much better idea of how much you need to do to recover or how whether you need to withdraw that pokemon or that sort of thing um it sort of indicates on the moves as well when you've encountered a pokemon uh, or added them to your pokedex for the first time it sort of indicates on the moves themselves which ones are going to be super effective or not very effective so you don't have mm. to keep going back and forth and searching for information yeah lots of lots of nice little quality of life improvements there and, it's amazing uh, to me the quality of life improvements in pokemon are still possible yeah. Like they've yeah. been fine tuning and iterating on this formula forever. It just amazes me that it still gets better. Like they've still found <laughs> ways to be like, let's tweak this thing. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, it's kind of strange how some of them, it took them so long to do certain things as well. Yes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, I mean, some of it's been hardware limitations. Yeah. But, yeah. but once really, once the, the 3DS was a thing, there was pretty much very little. Yeah. That they couldn't do yeah yeah and I, I i think sort of the addition of the internet to pokemon has been huge as well so sort of ever since you had the the ability to actually connect the game to the internet and do trades and battles and stuff with people online that's just completely changed the very nature of the game because one of the one of the reasons that i never really engaged with the early pokemon games was just because i had no one i could play them with sure um sure. and so it, I mean, there is that substantial single-player component there, but it always feels like part of the experience should be that trading, that battling, that getting involved with other people, that talking to other people about what you've done, what you've found, and that sort of thing. And sort of with the more modern games and the fact you can connect to the internet and it being Nintendo, rather than communicating directly, it's very sort of passive communication, but it's it's enough to give it a feel of more liveliness and more, more socialness. and Yeah, being a yeah. part of something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it really feels nice. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it a lot so far, and so that all of the kind of whining and bitching that there has been about this game on the internet, it's just been quite amusing to see how much of that was just lies. And yeah, it's, right. Yeah, it, it's 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 ridiculous. And, I don't like, even know. It, like, I don't even know what people were angry about besides the the, the national decks not being a part of the picture this time. Like, I stopped I, paying attention. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's like you just, it, it just got to a point where um, it was just accusations of Game Freak being lazy was the main oh, thing. And sort of saying sense. that they weren't putting enough effort into this game and sort of the, the, the cutting of the national decks was the the biggest symptom of this but that then led people on to sort of looking at all the places they'd supposedly cut corners in elsewhere. 
Um, yeah, but because they played the game and they knew, because they yeah, were all exactly. gonna develop. Like, never mind exactly. that this was once again like lazy. This is a whole new engine, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is a new engine for Pokemon. Like, they had to rebuild an entire world from the ground up again. Yep. But lazy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, get over yeah. yourselves. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I, uh, I mean, I'm going to take a fairly strong stance on this because, you know, it's it's something I try not to get involved with. But anyone who's sort of been involved in the behavior I've seen online around this should be absolutely ashamed of themselves because it's not just been whining it's been actual sort of offensive messages and harassment of developers and stuff and it's just been disgusting yeah and i'm really really upset that it's sort of marred such a such a cool game what's turned out to be such a cool game with all this negativity it's pokemon it is a cool game that happens to be for kids but there's lots of lots of people out there who still enjoy it there's lots of adults who still enjoy it there's lots of people who are coming to it for, for the first time and for the whole thing to be marred with this disgusting negativity i'm just really ashamed of it it's 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 really foul and i like i say i haven't sort of deliberately tried to get involved with this but it's just been so unavoidable in certain places that yeah it's it just it it just baffles me because it's like a lot of the stuff that 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 these people were accusing the game of it's like did they not think that when the game came out people would immediately disprove them yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And, like, you know, all the anger around this stuff, really, like, you hit the nail on the head there with, like, four kids, right? Like, yeah. okay, you're a 35-year-old man who's been playing Pokemon his entire life, and you're a fan, and you expect and want certain things. That's cool. I get it. Now, pull your head out of your own ass and look at this game from the perspective of an 11-year-old who's never played mm-hmm. an RPG before. Like an eleven-year-old who maybe watches the cartoon after school, and has never had a DS, and this is the first time they've ever they're ever going to get to play a Pokemon game. Yeah, yeah. Now, like you know, it's all a matter of perspective. Yeah, like yeah. And you've got to ask yourself what really matters as well. So you could look at this game and you can think. Is the Switch hardware sort of not quite powerful enough for the grand ambitions this game has? Probably, in places. But does it matter? No. no. Because it plays perfectly well. It's a turn-based RPG. It doesn't need to be running at 60 frames a second. It doesn't need to have super fancy graphics or anything like that. It doesn't look bad. It doesn't look bad. That's the thing. It's like, who cares if the shadows cut off after a certain distance or like people pop in from the distance? Who gives a fuck? <laughs> Go buy a PS4. Or an Xbox, yeah. like, pro like pro tip. Like, I didn't really think there was that much cross-section between people who cared about Poppin and people who liked Pokemon. I thought that no. was two totally different demographics. Yeah. Yeah. Like, get over it. You know what, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is, because I'd be interested to know how many of these people who... I, I get the impression so much of it is bandwagon jumping. Yeah. So, so sort of people saw an opportunity of something to get angry and upset about. Even if it internet? has nothing to do with it, no. surely not. <laughs> but yeah, like 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 I say, it's it's been a shame that that this game has been marred by that because it is such a lovely, charming game. It is everything that I hoped it would be so far, 
it's it's just been a delight so i i want to i want to focus on that positive side of things i've just been enjoying it i haven't been looking at what other people have been saying aside from my friends and acquaintances who are also playing it and having a good time with it and that's the way to do it again as we've always said take the game on its own merits judge it for what it is enjoy it you, mm-hmm. you may as well enjoy it because if you pick it up and you decide to hate it well what's the what's the point <laughs> yeah then you pop your copy up on ebay and never think about it again <laughs> like yeah yeah exactly but yeah yeah so so I, i've been enjoying it a lot so far um as i say not been a huge pokemon in the uh, fan in the past but i'm definitely excited to explore and get involved with this one and see what's going on and i'm going to do some detailed coverage uh, of this uh, over on moe gamer as well because it's a game i want to engage with i want to study it i want to learn a bit more about the history of it so yeah this seems like an ideal opportunity to do that it's a historically significant moment in the franchise for it being yes. sort of the first full-scale pokemon on a home console yes so, i'm yeah, terrified is- to even start my copy because of it. <laughs> like i really didn't sync up well with sun and moon because it, i had just reached a point where i was cu- just kind of tired of fiddling on handhelds yeah and i yeah. didn't really latch on to it but like <laughs> god I, i'm terrified of uh, the actual first full television console pokemon game like <laughs> it is a prospect that actually frightens me and i'll yeah. tell you what controversial maybe i'm friggin' grateful that the national dex isn't involved in this because oh me too me too it's yeah. it's a it's a fresh start and it'll be less of a time siphon if yeah. i was chasing the national dex on the television i'd be i just lose every i'd lose my job i'd lose my friends <laughs> <laughs> Game Freak did me a favor. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's it, it's great, and you're absolutely right to be scared because everyone I've spoken to who started playing it was like, well, I fired up Pokemon after work, and then sort of five hours later, I looked up and it was, uh, yeah. I went, then I went to work. <laughs> like, yeah, because like let's let's be clear here. Like we talked a lot about like game design and stuff, but like to to move things into the artistic sphere, like. Time and time again, Pokemon is the world I want to live in. Mm-hmm. Like, if you yeah. if you asked me what game world do you want to live in the most out of mm-hmm. every game you've ever played in your entire life, it's always going to be the Pokemon world. Yeah. Like, this is yeah. the, the, the most wholesome, happy, beautiful place where people help each other and care about each other and everything's about friendship and... Uh, I want to live in the Pokemon world so much. Yeah. Like wh- when I get into Pokemon, it's not just because I'm addicted to the gameplay. It's because this is a world I want to be a part of, and I yes. really get sucked into participating in and exploring the world of Pokemon games. Yes, yes, and this 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 is very apparent for me in Pokemon Sword and Shield, just because the the world that is presented here is such a beautifully realized, idealized version of Britain. And yes, they you know, it's your world, a celebration of your world. They have absolutely nailed it. Like from the moment you step out from your your house, which is this lovely little country cottage with like a vegetable patch outside and there's sort of the garden's slightly overgrown but not uncontrollably so, and you go around the corner to your friend's house and he lives in like a big 
what is clearly a big old converted farmhouse and that sort of thing it's just like this is like this is like the village i grew up in like this house that i'm going to that my friend lives at in pokemon this is the house that we used to go into when we went carol singing and we used to get invited in for mince pies and mulled wine and that sort of thing and it's just like then you wander down the road and then you get to the next little village and it's a village that's still got a train station running in it and it's like everyone is just nice to each other and you make your way through and you catch a train and you go to the big city but the big city is still sort of quaint and very old school it's sort of very very inspired by sort of um sort of traditional factory towns here in the uk they, they have absolutely nailed the atmosphere and aesthetic of it it's it's just wonderful and it really absolutely makes wonderful. you respect that this is coming from a japanese development studio so yes. they don't ha- they don't have this knowledge of what it's like to grow up in that world which yeah. means they took the time to learn yes they took the time yes. to learn study and observe and find out what is so wholesome and inviting about this national character mm-hmm. right and and truly understand it so that they could recreate it in a respectful and celebratory way. And when you yeah. really think about the amount of time it must have took to develop that understanding, then then produce this product that shows it to you in this fashion is mm-hmm. it's it's mind boggling to be frank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. I'm I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what else this world has to offer because like you you can see that you can see sort of a very stylized map of the whole world right from the beginning. And you can sort of see what sort of the basic style of the different towns and so on. And I, I'm just really looking forward to visiting some of these places and going, oh, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a delight. Yeah. So. But most important question of all, have you clashed with Marnie yet? <laughs> I, I've met Marnie. I haven't fought her yet. Um, so so, so she, she, she sort of shows up um, sort of... Um, in in the first big town you get to there's like supposed to be this big opening ceremony for the uh for the gym challenge which is the the big ongoing challenge throughout the story and there's there's a bunch of uh sort of uniformed people called team something at the thing and it's it's sort of set up to be like um your traditional sort of team rocket team galactic team whatever thing in pokemon uh, but you you basically kick the shit out of them one at a time and it turns out they they're just fanboys of money who just shows up and sort of apologizes for them and that sort of thing so yeah but yeah she 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 shows up and she's super cute and we we've seen Nessa for the first time and uh Bea has shown up and yeah good stuff good stuff looking forward to meeting everyone and the the lasses in this game are super cute <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, yay yeah. pokemon girls yay and of course, there are lots of excellent fashion options as well. Plus, uh, sort of you, um, and you can sort of uh, take a photo of yourself for your league card, which you can then exchange with other people as well. And you can pull different faces and do different poses and stuff on it. So, again, lots of character customization in there as well. But I know a lot of people I know are going to be spending as much time on as they are on actually catching Pokemon as well. So, <laughs> I hope I can get a nice pea coat. That's all. That's all I want. <laughs> Yeah, there's 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 been some nice coats and stuff for the for the female character earlier on, um, the sort of like big warm jackets and cardigans and stuff like that. So I'm sh- I'm sure you can find what you're looking for. Awesome. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, so I'm really enjoying that at the moment. Um, so that will be the next subject on uh, Murray Gamer after I've finished with Bullet Girls Fantasia, which will be 
probably next week or so when I write about the story of that. Um, so I won't talk too much about that now because I've written several articles about it on MarioGamer.net. So go check that out if you want to know a bit more. Um, I think aside from the things I want to talk about in the next segment, that's that's pretty much it for me. Is there anything yeah. else you want to bring up? No, same. A lot of the other stuff I've been playing is stuff that prompted the next segment's topic in the first place. So yeah, yeah exactly all right let's take a short break then and then we'll come back and we'll talk about our main topic for today so we'll see you in a moment Welcome back. For our third segment, we're going to be talking about homage games, which are games that uh, specifically pay tribute to individual games or series or uh, mechanics or styles of the past. So this is not just talking about retro-style modern games. This is talking about games that are sort of making a specific effort to um, sort of encapsulate the overall style of stuff that came from the past. Not necessarily recreate it exactly, um, but maybe sort of take the ideas of that and then modernize that slightly in some yeah. ways. So and, and add its own identity, I think, is a really important part of this for yes. me, too. Because like, yeah, I'm not absolutely. talking about stuff like um, uh, Sonic Mania, right? Like, yeah. Sonic Mania was a modern Sonic game paying tribute to Sonic games, but it was still a Sonic game. Like, I'm talking about stuff that is capturing and celebrating a specific franchise or style but is also very much its own thing. More of a celebration yes. of with a unique identity. Yes, yes. Okay, so I think I think given that you've brought up Sonic already, I think probably the best place to start then is with Freedom Planet. Yeah, that's definitely where this conversation came from in our discussions. We were like, all right, what, what topic can we do to give us an excuse to rave about Freedom Planet for four minutes? <laughs> and this is what happened. Yeah. So, um, Freedom Planet, if you're not familiar, is a game that came out in 2014. It originally started life as a Sonic fan game, um, but the creators realised, sort of, partway through development, that that was that keeping it as a Sonic fan game would sort of uh, limit what they were able to do with the game, limit how original uh, they could be with that sort of thing, and also limit the game's eventual audience as well. Because, by its very nature, if you're making a fan game, then you're probably never going to be able to get an official release out there unless you get a sort of sonic mania type situation which yeah once in a lifetime yeah, sonic exactly. mania. Did, yeah but by the time that sort of happened the freedom planet was sort of well before sonic mania was even sort of whispered of so yeah it was they made the right choice here so what happened was that the creator of the game uh, was uh, tried to design some of his own original characters and just couldn't get anything that was quite right for it. Um, and so he, had, he went to uh, DeviantArt to, to find some inspiration. And he came across a Chinese artist who had created these characters um, called uh, uh, Sash Lilac, Carol T, and Mila. Has Mila got a surname? I can't remember. And Mila. Uh, and I these were sort Mila of. Mila exists. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, the, so these are, are sort of um, anthropomorphic uh, animal characters. So Lilac is supposedly a dragon, um, but she, she's sort of inspired by the designs of the Sonic characters and so on. But she's she's sort of got her own distinctive take on things as well. Uh, and then Carol is a wildcat, I think, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mila is a dog. So um, they took these characters and they incorporated them into what was this Sonic fan game and turned it into its own thing with its own story, its own setting and so on and created something absolutely magnificent in the process. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think you were the one who introduced Freedom Planet to me in the first place, uh, quite possibly. Or I, I can't remember actually because I've certainly been aware of it for a long time because I've been aware of the PC version for a lot longer than... I've actually sort of been playing it because I've only really been actively playing it since I picked up the the physical version yeah. of the Switch version. Um, but yeah, t- tell me tell me about how you came across this in the first place and what it means to you. I had always been aware of Freedom Planet, even from its mm-hmm. early development stages. Um, uh, specific, you know, because I'm you know I've never been afraid to talk about it on this podcast before, but like I am involved in like the the furry community on the art side of things. So like yeah. when these characters first started coming about like in in a lot of the the art strings i follow on message boards and stuff i i I was just like these designs are great like what is this and then i kind of followed that through line and discovered freedom planet and it's very early stages i think even but you know while it was being developed um so i had always kind of had it on my radar even before 2014 um and then i was just lucky enough to snag it on a humble bundle Mm-hmm. Um, and play it and like instantly fall in love with it um, because I think it's pretty much the poster child for exactly what we're talking about here in that yes. it is definitely Sonic like it feels so much like Sonic but it feels like it understands what made Sonic fun and then wants to do its own thing so in, yes. for instance yes. Freedom Planet as we just mentioned has three distinct playable characters every single one of those characters plays radically differently mm-hmm. you have an attack button in Freedom Planet right like you can't jump on enemies heads like you can in Sonic so it's di- it's different right you've got punches and kicks and special moves to pull off and uh, Lilac can do a freaking Ryu dragon punch <laughs> like it's <laughs> it, so it, it takes things that are great about Sonic uh, stage gimmicks large hugely explorable areas um, an emphasis on kind of audio and visual synergy like an outstanding soundtrack these are all hallmarks that we associate with with the Sonic series but yeah. then adds its own unique mechanics um and ways of exploring that world. And another thing that it added on, which Sonic always lacked until the Dreamcast era, is a completely voice-acted narrative story mode. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which would have, like, can you imagine being young and, like, playing Sonic and actually having, like, voice-acted vignettes where, like, the story is explored in between stages? Mm. Like, it's all I ever wanted when I was a kid. Yeah. And, like, Freedom yeah. Planet gave it to me. Like, Freedom Planet essentially was... Freedom Planet is the 32-bit Saturn Sonic game that I always dreamt of. Yes. And yes. never got. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's it's excellent. And yeah, the the story in Freedom Planet is really good as well. So it's it takes the time to sort of establish this 
really convincing world and they, and then you just see bits of it throughout the course of the story but it's obvious that they've thought about the context of everything and how it all fits together and that sort of thing and you see it from various different perspectives according to which playable character you're doing and there's this fantastic atmosphere to it which is it's sort of a secondary topic i want to talk about today because it comes up in several of the games we're going to talk about which mm-hmm. is a concept i've come to think of as dark fairy yeah um, <laughs> um which which is basically the the sort of juxtaposition between um sort of brightly colored anthropomorphic animal characters and then a pitch dark storyline that gets really scary and disturbing and upsetting along the way and freedom planet absolutely nails that feeling throughout the course of its story it starts sort of very sort of kind of happy and positive but you can tell that there's something just not quite right about going about things that are going on because there is a beheading in the opening yeah i was gonna say (laughs) say, in in the intro sequence sort of the setup for the whole thing is like the leader of one of the countries gets beheaded by this horrifying alien monster and like that's that sort of sets the tone of what you can expect from the rest of it so there's there's like there's like there's torture scenes there's people getting turned into mutants there's violence there's death there's it's just incredibly dark and sort of the closer you get to the end of the game, the more dramatic it gets, and sort of the the more the voice actors really let loose as well. It's sort of really admirable how much they've sort of how much sort of passion and stuff they put into into the voice acting towards the end of the game. I don't know if you finished the story mode yet, so I won't give too much. Yeah, I have not, it, unfortunately, because Death Stranding happened. Yes, I was, I was yes. trying to, and then Death Stranding Understandable. happened. Understandable. Understandable. So, so I, I won't go into details at the minute, but sort of towards the end of Lilac's story in particular she uh, Lilac is is kind of positioned as um she she's the sort of spunky heroine so she she's sort of she's a little bit impulsive she she gets into things she wants to do the right thing but she doesn't necessarily always think through what's going on she and she goes through this really interesting arc throughout the course of the whole story where she's sort of realizing that sort of partway through the story she kind of realizes that she might have got in over her head this time and there's this sort of as you get towards the end there's this really sort of emotional realization that like she's going to follow this through whatever it takes and sort of the her final lines are just sort of screamed at the at the main villain and there's just so much kind of passion and emotion there it's it's not something i'm really used to seeing from a game that looks like this i was just gonna say i was like because it's a game that looks like this, but like, because there's a whole redemption arc, right? Because there's the yeah. whole, like, the whole thing built into the story that it was only really reveals itself in like tidbits and discussions. But like that, Lilac and Carol used to be thieves. Yeah. So like, there's also like they're they're trying to do this good thing essentially also to atone for yeah. for the people they used to be. Like, there's a lot of like we're not those people anymore discussions. Yeah. <laughs> Like what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. On, on, honestly, it's it's it, it's got to a point where, like, one of our earliest episodes, we talked about the goosebump effect that music has. It's got to the point where, like, I can listen to like the final level tracks and the final boss music from Freedom Planet now, and I get that goosebump effect because I, I remember seeing those scenes and I remember how they felt when I saw them for the first time, and they were really upsetting and really sort of inspiring you to, to, to sort of finish the game at that point as well. And it's, yeah, it's... Like I say, it's, it's just not something I would traditionally expect to see from a game with sort of 32-bit style pixel art and so on. And it's it's just incredible that they've managed to achieve that with this. Just with such a good balance between story and really, really solid gameplay. So it can't be 
we we can't overemphasize enough the amount that Freedom Planet just plays absolutely magnificently. It just yeah. it just plays yeah. so much like you want a modern 2D Sonic game to play with these enhancements, with these additions, with these sort of um, sort of beat 'em up style moves that you've got in there, with three different playable characters who all play very differently from one another, with a motorcycle just, that can climb walls. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, it's it's just magnificent, and it's 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 just a game that, like I I knew it was good when I sort of played the first few levels of the PC version, but sort of when it when I when I sat down and actually decided to play all the way through the Switch version recently after getting the the physical one from Limited Run, I was just like I was floored by how good this game is. It's the complete package. Um, yeah. I I am weirdly emotionally obsessed with this game. Mm-hmm. Like when I played my physical, like when I got my copy from Limited Run and fired it up for the first time, like I straight up cried. Like I had to pause. Mm. I had to like pause it. Like I don't know what it is about this game that like connects with me so strongly. But uh, yeah, but like the soundtrack is a huge part of it. Um, I'm not exaggerating when I say that the Freedom Planet soundtrack is my favorite video game soundtrack since Okami. Mm-hmm. Like. If you're listening to this Wuffle and Strife, um, know that I love you and thank you for making my life better. Mm-hmm. Um, there are literally days that go by where at work, I will just listen to the Freedom Planet soundtrack on shuffle for like nine hour days at work for like days in yeah. a row. It's no, just, I've been there too. <laughs> the, music, the music of this game puts me in such a place like emotionally and, and it, comfort and... It just feels so good. Like this game is um, unbelievable, and you haven't even finished it. It's going to destroy you when you finish. Oh, I have no doubt. (laughs) And then I, I have. It's it's reached the point where I'm considering doing one of my like wooden standees of Carol. Yeah. Um, knowing how big that sprite is, it's probably going to be like a couple feet tall. Like I love this world and these characters and this game so much. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really incredible, and like I say, it's it was the main sort of impetus for us wanting to talk about this subject today, just because it's something that's come to mean a lot to to both of us. What you described there, yeah, I feel exactly the same way. I've become so emotionally invested and obsessed with this game since I played it through. It's just constantly on my mind. It's 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 never going to leave. It's always going to be an incredibly special experience to me. It's one of my top like ten games of all time. All, yeah. all time across all platforms um have you played the demo for two yet i have not no because uh they add what's her name as a playable character the panda lady with the spear oh cool um and so that's a whole nother dynamic now because you've got someone with a weapon yeah so her her play is very different yeah Yes, yes, very much looking forward to that sequel. Um, so there's, there are obviously a lot of things that they've sort of learned from the development of the first Freedom Planet that they are going to plow into the sequel. You know, they've sort of specifically said that there there was originally some DLC planned for the first Freedom Planet, but they've sort of taken a lot of the things that they, they had learned from the base game and they're putting that into the sequel first rather than um, sort of just adding on to the first one with, with the DLC. So... Yeah, I'm really excited to see how that goes because there's there's some great names working behind that as well. So sort of the yeah. original game was was built on um, a system called Multimedia Fusion, which I, I find absolutely gobsmacking because if 
you're not aware, Multimedia Fusion is essentially um, the most recent incarnation of what used to be known as Click and Play in the Games Factory. Yeah. Which were old sort of point and click based drag and drop game creation tools. Um, Multimedia Fusion is obviously a lot more capable than those original versions but still the fact that this was built using that rather than sort of program from scratch is just gobsmacking to me just because they they made such a wonderfully convincing modern retro game using this system sort of with with all the things you'd expect from that with beautiful paranax scrolling with beautiful pixel art wonderful use of sound and music and that sort of thing and it's made using a quote unquote game creator but the the second one is being rebuilt from the ground up um, with the assistance of Christian Whitehead, who <laughs> Which is, is unreal. Uh, yeah, who is, is is best known for the amazing Xbox three hundred and sixty versions of the early Sonic games, uh, including the wonderful enhanced version of Sonic CD, uh, and also for uh, his work on Sonic Mania, of course. So um, you've got someone who has worked on actual Sonic games uh, contributing to Freedom Planet Two, which is yeah. So it's going to be something really special. Yeah, I can't believe like this is such like a like, it's such an indie game and like a niche indie game. Like not everyone knows about Freedom Planet, but the talent mm-hmm. involved in this series. Yeah. I can't remember the name I threw at you the other day too, but I didn't cover something too about the background artist for it. Like other mm. stuff he had worked on that was unbelievable. And I can't remember. Oh no, it was because of that I was looking at that vertebraker. Oh yes. That that yes. was that the Kickstarter failed on and um and I was excited about that, but like the guy who was doing the background art for Vertebraker also did the background art for Freedom Planet. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, Freedom Planet, absolute essential for anyone who is sort of interested in top-quality 2D platformers. Uh, with or without storyline, because it's worth noting as well that if you just prefer a pure platforming experience, there is also a classic mode in there that completely cuts out all the narrative. Yeah. Um, so you can play it as just a straight Sonic game if you want to as well, which is a lovely sort of inclusion for those people who don't want to sit through cutscenes. I mean, I recommend you do sit through the cutscenes because they're great, but um, and also it's worth looking up the outtakes as well. There's several scenes in the game where you can push a button combination and get a variation on the scene where the actors fluff up their lines and they bother to actually animate the sprites to go along with the outtake as well. So there's just some wonderful scenes there as well if you look them up. Um, but yeah, 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 absolutely fantastic experience. A, a great example of what we're talking about and a great example of, of Dark Fairy as well, <laughs> uh, which will come up come up a few times in the subsequent ones. We uh, I, Certainly I want to mention as well. So Yeah, we got to get you hooked up with Dust. Yes, yes. Well, t- tell me a bit about Dust then since you mentioned it. Uh, I, I don't know. It's a really, really solid uh, side-scroller with kind of larger explorable stages and a heavy emphasis on kind of translating the devil may cry combat experience to a side scroller so like it's like gated arenas for fighting and you have a really solid move set that like grows as you learn more things um and uh and a heavy emphasis on voice acted narrative throughout the stages so like you have a fairy companion who's always speaking to you and your sword is also sentient so it's like this trio of three making their way through this kind of adventure um, mm-hmm. And the, the story is very much like focused on this kind of like war torn region with like lots of politics. So like it's an example of kind of what you're talking about, where where it's just like yeah, it's these cute Saturday morning cartoon looking animal friends, but then also oh no oh, no genocide, <laughs> like it's just <laughs> it's uh it's an interesting contrast and a very mm. solid game. Mm. Yeah. 
would you count that among what we're talking about here or or if i just no no it's it's a very modern it's a very modern side scroller just like fully fully animated 2d um very smooth animation like it's it's very much its own thing there's no point i mean with exception of kind of what i just mentioned where like there's a hint of like devil may cry dna in the combat like it's not really an homage game at all okay it's very much its own thing all right, well, stick, stick a pin in that then. Yeah. I, I will I will play it at some point because it's one I've been meaning to play for a long time and we will talk about that in more detail another time then. All right, um, next one I probably wanted to bring up uh, for this topic would be uh, the first of two games from uh, Daisuke Amaya, or also known as Pixel, which yes. is Cave Story. So Cave Story is probably one of the most well-known games to do what we're talking about here. And so Cave Story was sort of a, an homage to um uh, famicom games things like metroid and stuff like that sure. so sort of the the graphics in it are designed to kind of be very reminiscent of metroid even like the sort of the screen layout and the interface and that sort of thing is quite metroidish so um cave story is a side-scrolling open structure 2d platformer in which um <laughs> in we which have built uh, our you, own you, coffin you, yeah definitely in which you explore <laughs> and you find new weapons and you find new items and you follow a story through and that sort of thing and um yeah it's it's an absolutely fantastic game with kind of an interesting story behind it because cave story has been around for years at this point it, it first emerged as a freeware game for pc yeah but over the years it's been enhanced and tweaked and remaked and re-released so many times for so many different platforms um so th- there are very few places you can't play cave story anymore um Again, this is this is one that I probably came to a, a little bit late in its lifetime. So, sort of, I'd I'd come across the PC version briefly, but again, it was it was actually the first game I got for my Switch. So, I, I got my Switch, and like um, the first game that someone bought for it or uh, for me was Cave Story Plus mm. for Switch, um, which is uh, one one of the lovely releases from uh, Nicalis, which has uh, like a little manual and some some bonus stuff in there they as well. Do a good job yeah definitely definitely um and yeah that's a really great version of the game so it's it's sort of uh, the most up-to-date version of the game this sort of switchable graphics mode so you can sort of make it look a bit more like the original pc version or this a a sort of this the sort of slightly more modern mode they put in there it's still very reminiscent of the famicom but it's 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 still sort of i don't know it's kind of hard to describe it still looks retro but it's it also looks a bit more modern at the same time. It's kind of hard to describe what they've done with that, but it's it's a really nice look certainly, um, and it's it's a great game. It's a great game. It's a really well designed game with mm-hmm. some interesting mechanics and stuff. It's got this sort of interesting upgradable weapon system um, that sort of uh, rewards you for getting through situations without taking damage because you, your weapons can actually level down if you take too much damage as well and that sort of thing so and then sort of when your weapons are at their highest level they can do certain things that they can't do otherwise so for example the machine gun at its third level of power is so powerful that you can use it as a sort of impromptu jetpack almost um and that sort of thing so there's lots of interesting mechanics in there to explore and it's got this really cool story and again it's a kind of uh, a kind of dark fairy uh thing in yeah, the ca- it's rough stuff and cave story yeah yeah cave story is seriously fucked up in places it's uh, but again it's populated with sort of brightly colored rabbit like creatures who are super cute and that sort of thing but then there's death and destruction and torture and people dying and slavery and all that sort of thing and it's i don't know this there's, there's something i there's something 
I think I think I love this thing, but it's it's one it's one, <laughs> I do too. It's 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 one of those things that sort of you while you're experiencing, you're thinking, I'm really uncomfortable with this. I really don't like this. It's making me really uncomfortable. But anytime you think about that, you thought, no, I I, I really enjoyed feeling uncomfortable in that way. It's it's just. I don't know. It's 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 hard to describe. It's it's the same reason. Well, it, it's probably along the same lines as as why you might enjoy sort of good horror and that sort of thing. You enjoy those negative sensations that it's it's provoking in you, while knowing that you're sort of safe from them, if you like. Um, yeah, it's also removing humans yes. from those tragic situations allows you to take a step back from them and examine the situations instead of just being viscerally upset by the fact that they're happening to humans yes but at the same time it's also deeply upsetting when it's happening to cute little bunny rabbits <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I don't know this the, the, pixel is an absolute master of this um because the other game i'll talk about of his in just a moment is is also extremely good at this but it's yeah it's, it's just just a really kind of distinctive atmosphere uh, in Cave Story, and as I say, in Freedom Planet does a very similar sort of thing as well, where it really emotionally invests you in what's going on using relatively minimal technology, but just the whole thing is so emotionally engaging, it really encourages you to want to actually engage with it mechanically as well, and actually want to get through and do that sort of thing. The one trouble with Cave Story is that getting the true ending involves going through one of the most nightmarishly difficult pieces of platforming I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah it's brutal it's absolutely yeah brutal. i still haven't done it i can't do it i just i just can't and it's frustrating because like the build-up to it is just so great and you're like yes i want to finish this and then it hurls this absolutely horrendous sequence of challenges at you and you're like uh maybe i can't do this <laughs> uh but yeah yeah so i i, I mean w what are your thoughts on on cave story I mean, I love mm. it, <laughs> but you, you've pretty much covered it all there. It's just Cave Story was revolutionary. Yeah. Uh, Cave Story is literally the first indie game I can name. Yes, right. So, like, in, in not that it was the first indie game, but it was in my vocabulary one of the the first one to like get news coverage to like become a title people talked yes. about on the same par as other like. I remember, like, the discovery of Cave Story. Yes. It was noteworthy for being one of the first Japanese indie games. So it, it was sort of significant from that thing. It sort of kicked off a lot of the the sort of more high-profile doujin scene that we have today. Um, mm -hmm. so, so, yeah, you, you, you're not wrong to sort of think of it, of, think of it as a, a first of sorts, certainly. Yeah, I mean, certainly not the first, but, like, in terms of, like, popular discussion... Mm -hmm around indie games it was one of the ones to make it big yeah. it was one of the ones to have just the right amount of appeal and polish where it didn't feel like ex like an experimental student thing yes. it actually felt like a, a, a package and you could play it for free mm. it was revolutionary and it's so like a lot of my like memories of cave story are specifically tied to that like the important part it played in kicking off like the love of it, the indie scene yeah. that i have today um, I mean, it's it's the one. It's the reason why I care so much about this whole side of the industry. Mm. Um, and yeah, like the, to to acquire that physical copy from the Callus on the Switch was like huge for yeah. me. Um, 
because really previously the only way to physically own Cave Story had been that 3DS version, yeah. and it was ugly and it had those that weird 3D graphics, and I didn't care yeah. for it. So like, this was like Cave Story Plus on the Switch is like the definitive way to own Cave yeah, Story. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It was such a get, a huge get. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like I mentioned before, there's there's also another game by Pixel um, that is quite different to cave story in a lot of ways but again it's got a few things in common with it as well which is kero blaster um so mm-hmm. have you played this one that much i have i've played a lot of kero mm. blaster i have it on steam yes yeah so so kero blaster rather than taking the uh the uh side scrolling open structure 2d 3d 2d platformer whatever um <laughs> this uh, uh kero blaster is more of an homage to games like Mega Man and contra in that you are playing a character going through linear levels you are armed to the teeth with selectable weapons that can be upgraded um and and you're working your way through a series of distinct linear challenges rather than exploring a massive world um so it's it's quite a different experience to cave story in terms of mechanics um and also it's presented quite differently as well so so while cave story is sort of channeling the 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 famicom um Kero Blaster is kind of an interesting aesthetic it's sort of kind of a cross between um sort of late era 2600 almost combined with early era NES so it's got a lot less in the way of color and detail than Cave Story has and it's lower resolution and that sort of thing but but again it's it's sort of above what would have been possible on like i say late era 2600 or something like that so it's got a very distinctive more colors on screen yeah. at once than would have been possible and also, stuff yeah like and that. stuff like parallax scrolling and that sort of thing as well so it's it's a good example of what we've described as modern retro before so it's it's taking the sort of overall look and feel of something but then kind of combining that with modern techniques and and appearances and that sort of thing to produce something that has a very distinct appearance that is distinctly its own um, and yeah, I love Carablaster. It's it's one that I've sort of been playing off and on. I think I reviewed it back when I was on uh, when I was on US Gamer. I've reviewed both the PC version and the iOS version as well. And it came out on on Switch a while back as well. I missed out on the physical version uh, of of this at one point. Did they do the Switch version physical? I forget. No, just, just the PS4 uh, wasn't Vita, it? Vita and PS4. Okay, is that it? I'm looking at it. I'm looking up copies of it right yeah. now because you reminded me of how much yeah. I want it. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the, again, there may well be a possibility of a, a physical Switch version at some point. But uh, yeah, so this is a really cool game. So, in this game, you play a frog who um, his name is never mentioned uh, throughout the game. In fact, no, no one's name is ever mentioned throughout the game. They all have names. Uh, that apparently, in one of the game modes, if you go into a particular secret room, you can find out what all their names are. But other than that, they're just there. Oh. So. Um, you play a frog who works at a company called Cat and Frog Incorporated, and they make teleporters. And um, Frog is the um, he's uh, involved in custodial sciences, uh, which means he is the jan- janitor basically. <laughs> um, and it's his, it's his job to go out and basically fix the teleporters when they're not working. And at the start of Carrow Blaster, it seems these teleporters have stopped working because there's these weird black creatures have started appearing all around the place. Um, and at the same time, something very strange is happening to his boss, who is the cat of Cat and Frog Incorporated. And sort of over the course of the game, um, there's some really, frankly, quite horrifying things happen to this boss character. Uh, she sort of gets all 
bloated and horrifying and changes color and that sort of thing and you sort of get get revelations over the course of the story as to as to what is causing this or what might have caused this it, it takes great care to not be absolutely specific on what causes all this but you can uh you can sort of draw your own conclusions about that sort of thing and there's some interesting theory crafting on the internet as to exactly what the setup of, of uh Kero blaster actually is and where this all came from and there's yeah some some fascinating discussion that i'll leave you to look up if you want to uh but again it's good there's a there's certainly an air of mystery about the like Kero blaster almost feels like a creepy pasta. oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah like there's a weirdness to it that's like is this even a thing yes. like what it, like what is going on yeah so, so again, Carol Blaster has this thing where it starts out like as a sort of cutesy game starring a frog with a machine gun, but over the course of the game, it get it gets seriously dark and creepy as it goes through. It gets more and more creepy as you go on, and the like the second to last level, um, it it sort of takes various parts of the second to last level are sort of glitched out as well. So like you're going to the shop and they, like the colors are all wrong and the music's all distorted and that sort of thing, and it's it's really creepy. <laughs> and again it's that sort of thing where you sort of feel really uncomfortable while you're playing it and you sort of think about it afterwards and you think that yeah that was really cool <laughs> yeah yeah but um yeah Kero blaster is, is really good just because it has a, a solid understanding of what what the games it's paying homage to what made them fun so again in Kero blaster we've talked previously about how in contra you feel powerful but also quite fragile uh, Kero Blaster does that quite well. So you're not quite as fragile as you are in Contra in that you can take more than one hit before you die. But you've got that feeling of power because you've got these upgradable weapons that become incredibly powerful by the end of the game. Um, but it's also quite easy to take damage in many ways. So you start the game with just two hearts. So you can only take two hits before you die at the start of the game. But you can upgrade your health bar as you go through. Um, there's a sort of ghouls and ghosts style jacket you can get as well which acts like the armor in that it protects you from a single hit and there's like a, there's an achievement for finishing the game with the jacket on and that sort of thing um but yeah it, it just understands what made these games really appealing it's got excellent level design just despite them being linear levels they're really they've got really interesting designs to them and mm -hmm. the the yeah. boss fights that really stood out yeah to me the boss fights are a real highlight so they they, they really take the the sort of Mega Man approach of being very obviously pattern based and encouraging you to learn these patterns, but they're they're distinctive and they're fun to engage with. And it's not just a case of dodge out of the way, then fire, then dodge, then fire. There's different phases to these no. battles. There's sort of different ways of and dealing with a their puzzle attacks. element yeah. too. Yeah, absolutely. Right, because like there's a right there's a right weapon for the job. Yes, and it's like figuring out that out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then there's um once you beat the game for the first time there's then a second route through the game called zangio mode or overtime mode um where you play sort of different versions of the levels with sort of different it's harder versions of the bosses and so on so in many cases there you have to sort of completely change your strategy for the bosses so there's a good example like there's in in the basic game there's a boss that you're fighting on the back of a train um and, and so in the base game you're just sort of standing on the back of this train carriage in the zangio mode the train sort of buggers off as soon as this boss appears so you have to sort of take a flying leap onto this little handcart that's being pushed by a pair of penguins that puts you behind the boss and so you have to fight it from this completely different angle on the other mode there so yeah there's some oh it's so cool. some really cool stuff in there and sort of a, a different story to explore and it's it's a story that's quite subtly told but it's got plenty to say 
but it does it without sort of pushing things in your face so like the the overtime mode is about sort of um sort of overworked salarymen in japan and that sort of thing so like the the main antagonist in zangio mode is a work producing machine <laughs> um i don't know anything i don't know anything about that <laughs> but yeah it's it, it's just great it's and it's it works well as an homage because it obviously understands what made its source material great, but then it puts its own twist on things with its own story, its own unique method of presentation, its wonderful music, its wonderful design, and that sort of thing. So yeah, Kero Blaster is an absolutely fantastic game. Sweet. Yeah, I love that. I love that game too. I really do got to get a copy of that. Mm. I, I I've been waiting and hoping for a Switch version, but I may just bite the bullet and pop on eBay and get it for the PS4. Yeah yeah all right so those those were the three main ones that i wanted to talk about today did you have any other stuff in mind that you wanted to bring up i did i had a couple cool. interesting ones cool. Let's hear it. um because this is something i'm pretty pretty partial to specifically mm-hmm. as a topic um one of the things i wanted to bring up is this is a, a company that we've talked about before but under kind of different contexts so i wanted to bring up astroport okay um, because I know you've had some experiences that were positive with them. Specifically, I know you love Zangeki Warp. Oh, yes, yes. Zangeki um, Warp and Satazia are the two that I've yeah. played from them. Yeah, so Zangeki Warp isn't an example of this because Zangeki Warp is very much them trying to do their own thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm thinking very specifically about Satazius. Mm. Um, Satazius was very deliberately an effort to celebrate Gradius. Yes. Konami's Gradius. Um, and it does that in two ways. Um, first of all, it has a weapon system, a level, a power-up system, where you have a, a your power-ups are on the bottom of the screen, and you have to choose where you invest the points to level those power-ups up, just the same way Gradius does. Um, it has its own quirks, obviously, but it was very much an attempt to say, like, we enjoyed this system in Gradius, like, let's bring it to the forefront in our own game as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels like Gradius. Another way it actually felt like Gradius, which is something I think a lot of people neglect when they talk about the design of that series specifically, is that Satasius does a really good job of creating claustrophobic stages. Oh, where hell sta- yes. yes. Yeah, where stage hazards are an important part of the gameplay. Um, this isn't something that every shmup does. So, like, sh- shoot-em-ups as a genre... Um, often just throw you into kind of empty places where enemy patterns and uh, bullet patterns are the primary hazard. But every now and then you get a shooter that also says like, hey, we can throw objects and navigation into the mix as part of the gameplay, part of the the resistance the player is going to face. And Gradius is one of the very earliest games to do this, Um, to not be afraid to put you in in caves or industrial tunnels where the scrolling would speed up and you actually had to fly yeah. around these hazards yeah. um, or or uh, super claustrophobic meteor fields mm-hmm. where you had to like drive around these heavenly bodies and, and so survival was tied to navigation as much as it was like and en- defeating enemies and deftly weaving around bullet patterns and Satasius pays uh, tribute to this very very well um more so than a lot of modern shoot 'em ups do, because the the focus these days is to really celebrate bullet hell yes. and focus on enemy enemy placement and patterns. So this kind of clever stage design is a little less common. So I just wanted to give props to Satasius for bringing that to the forefront again in a, in a relatively newer game. 
Yeah, it's interesting because if if we look back at the history of shooter maps, like the the earliest shooter maps, like the fixed shooters, they were they were what you described. They were like an empty space with enemies in it, and all the obstacles were the enemies and the bullets they were firing at you. And then we had a period of games that are like what you're describing. So sort of before Gradius came out, we had stuff like Scramble and Super Cobra and Caverns of Mars and that sort of thing. Um, so that was a very distinct era of earlier shoot 'em ups that has sort of kind of ebbed and flowed a bit over time. So it, it sort of disappeared for a while, and then it came back, and then it disappeared, and then it came back, and it sort of raised its head every so often in the shoot 'em up genre. Um, and yeah, Cetasius is, is a really good recent example of that. There's some wonderful set pieces in Cetasius as well that make good use of that. So there's one of the bosses, for example, quite early in the game where you fly into a cave system and this boss is chasing you from behind through this cave mm-hmm. system um and it's it, it there's sort of junctions at various points in the cave system so you need to choose which way you're going to go quite quickly otherwise you'll fly into the the, uh, the rock in the middle and that sort of thing you got to do this all the time while this thing is chasing you and making you panic and it's just yeah it's an incredible experience yeah they, they do a very good job um and then also the gigantic army and steel strider yes, yes um which were their attempts to celebrate the assault Zeus lanos series mm-hmm. um a very specific emphasis on these kind of chunky mechanical giant robot side scrolling with heavy weapons and, and f- a, a proper balance of fragility and power right like very easy to get overwhelmed and uh, i don't can't speak to them too much because they're, they're very basic games but um this was a very specific style of giant robot side scroller that was very popular in the 16-bit and early 32-bit eras. Yeah, we've seen a resurgence lately of this kind of game being celebrated and brought to the forefront. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked about uh, Rocket Punch's Hardcore Mecha, which is another example of this. Yeah, um, there actually was a HD remake of the original Assault Suits Lanos a couple a couple years ago for the PS4. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, there was also Gunhound EX, which I know you played that one. Yes, we t- used to yes. talk about that a little bit. Um, but yeah, so I love I love these games that are paying tribute to that very specific niche genre. And uh, Gigantic Army was one of really the first games I ever played that just kind of said like, "Hey, do you remember Assault Suits Lanos? Like, let's make a new one." <laughs> so yeah, I just really like Astroport's output. I mean, they've made a lot of other games too, but I just wanted to highlight. Uh, Satasius, Gigantic Army, and Steel Strider is a great example of these kind of homage games mm. where they're paying tribute to a very specific series. Yeah, definitely. Um, they had that other one too, Wolf Flame, which I think feels a little bit like the Lair Section series, but it's been a long time since I played that one. Mm, I've not come across that one before. So that Wolf Flame was their first attempt at a vertical shoot em up. Oh, okay. Um, so that's worth looking into as well. Yeah. Another studio I wanted to discuss was Joy Masher. Right. Uh, so Joy Masher is a studio from Brazil, um, which makes really cool games that are very kind of accurate recreations of like the looks and feels of certain genres. Um, and their games, in a lot of ways, almost feel like mashups of like a bunch of games from that genre, doing like a best of sampling. Yeah. Um, so like they first came onto the scene with Oniken which was kind of an attempt to make a celebration of a very specific style of 
NES era action side scroller. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels a little bit like Ninja Gaiden and a little bit like um, those great Natsume action games. Um, I'm thinking of about like Shatterhand, Shadow of the Ninja, yep. Yep. Uh, Power Blade. Just that very specific like action anime 8-bit side scroller. And like it has a very specific look and feel and they really nail the way like it's something simple but like the way the sword swing works in that game like mm-hmm. the way you you pull it out and it like flashes like shing and it makes that like sound yeah like it's such a very specific physicality to that that feels spot on with the way ninja guide like the attacking a ninja guide and work yeah like so they, they really hit the nail on the head with that and these these mechanical anime um stages where you're in these industrial factories with like the churning gears in the background and like neon green vats of of goo with like monsters that like bust out of them and like (laughs) it just is a very specific look and feel that these old natsume games in the ninja gaiden series had and um it's really fascinating to me how joy masher is able to really isolate what made those games look and feel so good and then make a new game yeah that, that does that. Um, and then they did it again with their next game, which was Odalis, The Dark Call, which was... Um, it's a little bit of Castlevania. And a lot, I think a lot of people compare Odalis to Castlevania because of the gothic horror elements. Yeah. But it doesn't really play much like Castlevania. It actually plays more like a Euro platformer. Okay. Like on the on like the 16-bit computers. Um, you know what I mean by that. Whereas like, those games had a tendency to have like larger explorable stages. Yes. With, like, um, you know, it wasn't just a point A to point B affair. So we're not talking like a Metroid style, like open world, but each, each stage is contained, but there's a whole lot of options. Do I go down the cave or do I climb up in the trees? And like your experience in the stage is a little different and there's keys to find and circuitous routes to take. It's not just a straight line. Um, and they did a really good job of kind of recreating the look and feel of that style of side scroller. Um, there's inventory and weapon upgrades and things to collect that amass on a sidebar border um and it's just uh the the limited color palette of the 8-bit style is is really strong there Uh, it's just another great example of them taking a genre that they appreciated and and recreating it Mm. um their most their most recent game blazing chrome um was is now is a tribute to contra yes um, I have not had the opportunity to play Blazing Chrome yet. Uh, my copy is currently on pre-order <laughs> with limited runs, so um, I'll be very excited to give that a try and kind of report back to it next time we have a what we're playing discussion after I've gotten it. But, yeah. Uh, if you look up the footage of that, it just appears to be spot on. Yeah, I've, I've Especially- heard very good things about that. Like when it released oh, di- yeah? digitally, I, I several several people I know bought it and had very nice things to say about it. So I think you're in for a good time there. I'm very excited. Uh, more specifically, because it doesn't just appear to be trying to recreate the look and feel of Contra. It's trying to look create the look and feel of a very specific era of Contra, which is the really bombastic 16-bit era. Yes. I'm, I'm thinking specifically about Contra Hardcore, yeah. which is far and away my favorite Contra game, and not just because I can be a werewolf with a Gatling gun for <laughs> hand, but... but uh, 
just the the set pieces and the insanity of Contra Hardcore, mm. it always sticks in my brain as one of the best side scrollers ever made. Yeah. So to see the ways that Blazing Chrome really appears to be celebrating that makes it a really exciting proposition for me. Cool. Uh, let's see what else did I have? Uh, another really kind of not well-known game that I think more people should be talking about. Uh, uh, Joy Lancer, the Legendary Motor Knight. Okay, never heard of that one. Are you f- are you familiar with this game? No, no. Tell me. Oh more. yeah, yeah. Google Google this business. You won't be uh, you won't be disappointed. So Joy Lancer is by Alpha Six Productions. Um, it's still in early access and has been since 2014. Um, they just keep kind of building stuff into it. Um, now Joy Lancer is. Uh, kind of unlike the other games I've talked about, which are paying tribute to a very specific genre or or series, um, is more like what Pete was referring to with, um, with uh, Pixel's work. It's very much just a broader celebration of a specific era or style of game. Oh, this, this um, looks, and, I'm just going to say, this looks great. <laughs> yeah, so, so what's, what's magical about Joy Lancer... Uh, and special about Joy Lancer is it's very common to make a pixel art game these days. And pixel art games almost always are celebrating the 8 and 16-bit genres in a very specific way. Um, a very specific look of either the NES, Super NES, or uh, Genesis slash Mega Drive. But what Joy Lancer has tried to do in the modern retro homage sphere is recreate the look and feel of a Game Boy Color game. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> And this is something, the only other game I can really think of that did this was that Save Me Mr. Taco, the one that with the little cute octopus, that, <laughs> yeah. was, a, that was a modern Game Boy game. But Joy Lancer is very specifically a Game Boy Color game, and it, using, using an exceedingly limited color palette in the same way that Game Boy Color games did. Now... As an example of modern retro, like we've been talking about, Joy Lancer does a ton of stuff that Game Boy Color couldn't do, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the the speed of movement, the frame rates it achieves, the size and number of enemies on screen, all impossible for the Game Boy hardware. But it just looks like a Game Boy game. Yeah. Like the sprites with the limited color palettes. And um, something we talk about a lot when we talk about pixel art as a practice is... Um, very suggestive use of pixel in the sense that like when you're working with a tiny sprite you have to only suggest the line of a mouth suggest where an eye might be just kind of using one pixel that's a different shade yeah right you can't make a whole eye you've only got like eight pixels to work with for the head of a character Uh, this game does that very well through use of color and shading to really flesh these characters out with an exceedingly small amount of pixels um and it just looks and fe- looks like a classic Game Boy Color game, but plays like a tr- like a treasure developed Game Boy Advance game in terms of how like bam- bombastic the action and the explosions and the movement speed. Um, it's a real pleasure. Um, and there's tons of like options for color filters and side borders, so it almost feels like you're playing a Game Boy game on the Super Game Boy because you have like the, the the options for colors and filters and borders. Um, it's really special, yeah. and I'm really excited to be able to talk about it because I think I don't think a lot of people have played this. 
No, I'm I'm just looking up looking it up now. It seems like it's it's been kind of in development for quite a long time from the look of things. Yes. Yeah, um, 20, since 2014 it's been an early access. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of a lot of bitching on Steam about the developers going quiet for a very long time, but judging from the discussion boards it looks like they're they're still working on it. They're still experimenting with different things with it. And um Sort of I mean, it's basically things. a full game. Yeah. Like, whatever. Yeah. Like, like, play it. Play it. Like, it's basically a full game. There's never a point where I've been... Like, I played Joy Lancer in 2014. Like, because I've been following the initial announcements of it. Like, I got it right away when it hit Early Access. It's also the only Early Access game I've ever paid for. Mm-hmm. Like, because I fundamentally don't agree with Early Access as a, as a concept. But, like, I was just so smitten with the look and feel of this game. Yeah. That I, that I had to have it. But, like even playing it back in 2014 and it's evolved a lot since then mm-hmm. like it didn't I, did, I was never like this feels incomplete yeah. like it felt like a proper game like yeah just play just play it it's worth it no it looks re- it looks really cool i love i love the the game boy color aesthetic that they've got going on i was yeah just before you mentioned that i was, I was try- trying to trying to nail what looks so distinctive about it yeah you're absolutely right it's that that deliberately distinctive color palette from the game boy color specifically um yeah yeah like ugly teal greens and like purples yeah bright bright purples everywhere and like entire sprites that are just orange with black on them uh yeah yeah it doesn't yeah it's 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 like it's one of those aesthetics where it's like why would anyone ever choose this it's so garish (laughs) but it just looks so like when you think about stuff like shantae Mm. or there was a there was a fighting game i used to love on the game boy color called uh, power quest yeah and it, this game looks so much like Power Quest. It's yeah. ridiculous. Um, I just love it. I love mm. it so much. Because I, 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 as someone who likes pixel art as a practice and an art form, I find specifically the limitations and the aesthetic of the Game Boy really pleasing. Yes, yes, me too. Um, so just this game speaks to me in a, in a very strong way. And I really do hope one day they do finish it so I can own it physically and, and celebrate it in that way as part of my collection. Yeah, that'd be super cool. And like in the meantime, while it's still early access, it's only six pound ninety nine as well. So yeah, I might have to grab a copy of that later. Oh yeah, I... totally. I want to hear your impressions on it because mm. I love this game. Okay, so I had one more. Already, I had one. I had one more, um, which I think is a really cool game we're talking about. And that's Ocean Horn. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. Have you ever played Ocean Horn? I haven't. I'm familiar with it, but I haven't actually played it. Yeah, so Oceanhorn's just Zelda. <laughs> like it's just it's just it's just a really charming recreation of Zelda, a Zelda style game with its own obviously its own story and its own aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, the aesthetic being very specifically like a a coastal aesthetic where like islands are a really important part of the story. Yeah. Um but it looks and feels just like an old school uh, top-down Zelda game. Um and funny enough uh, Oceanhorn came out 2015. Yep. And um, when the new Zelda remake of Link to the Past was announced, uh, with its like toy box aesthetic, I remember very specifically thinking, "Holy shit, this looks like Oceanhorn!" <laughs> like because that's what I loved about Oceanhorn is it had this. It has, um, you know, this is something we dedicated an episode to at one point. But, yeah. like, Oceanhorn has one of those aesthetics where it looks like you can reach into the screen and touch it. Yeah. Like, everything has a sheen and, like, a very specific boxy look to it where mm. it looks like a diorama. And I really, that entire look speaks to me in a big way. And so I thought it was really cool when 
the Link to the Past remake came out because I was like, I, who having played Oceanhorn, was like, this looks like Oceanhorn. Mm-hmm. Like, which was cool because everyone's always like, Oceanhorn's just Zelda. So, and you're like, <laughs> but then yes, there was, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, but then there was a point where I was like, but this new Zelda's Oceanhorn. <laughs> which made me smile. Yeah. So, that's a really cool game, and I, and I recommend people check it out. Because you can play the Zelda remake and enjoy the Zelda remake, but it's a remake. Mm-hmm. Like, so if you grew up with Link to the Past, you know where all the stuff is already. Yeah. <laughs> so Oceanhorn's great because it's a new Zelda game. Mm-hmm. Like, if you haven't, you know, if you haven't played it, it's it's new puzzles, new dungeons. It's, yeah. It's everything that's cool about a Zelda game, just with a unique story and setting. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Really, really like that one. Yeah, so those are those are just some examples I, I came up with of games that kind of really nail that homage development style. Mm, absolutely, yeah. And as always, I think there's a whole lot more we could probably talk about uh, on this subject as well. So it may well be something we return to at some point because, like, as we're talking here, I'm just thinking of other games. Like, oh yeah, I wish I mentioned that. But uh, maybe we'll save that for another time because there's uh, yeah. Oh, there's a lot. A lot more to talk about, certainly. But yeah, I'm yeah, glad because I, mean, I wanted to talk about a hat in time too because I've been mm. playing that recently. And that's yeah. a great example of that too, but we'll wait on that one. All right. Okay. So we'll uh, we'll we'll put a pin in that and maybe save that for another another week when uh, when uh, we we need to decide on something to talk about. All yeah. right. Let's wrap that up for there to, today then. So, would you like to tell people where to find you online as usual, please? Yes, as always, you can find my artwork on mrgilderpixels.com. I'm also uh, available on Instagram and Twitter at mrgilderpixels, although I haven't been particularly active lately. Uh, for that, I apologize, but Death Stranding. So. <laughs> You're excused. I gotta deliver pizzas, man. Listen, you gotta deliver pizzas, and if you accidentally put them in your backpack vertically, you ruin the pizza you blow the <laughs> delivery. Fantastic. Like, it's... Yeah good times i i i'm I'm not going to shame you for anything don't worry i'm just happy that you're you're finding some time to play some video games again it's it's important (laughs) it really is i've been very happy yeah definitely all right and you can find me as usual on mariogame.net writing stuff most days uh you can find me on youtube as well doing my atari a to z series on tuesdays thursdays and saturdays and also some other stuff on wednesdays and fridays so wednesdays we have warriors wednesday where we're currently playing through warriors all-stars which is a fantastic game chris will back me up on that Um, and on fridays we are playing through the final fantasy games we're currently coming towards the end of final fantasy one on psp working our way through the end game dungeons the soul of chaos um this podcast is available in audio only format uh, and video format if you're listening to this on soundcloud or spotify or itunes you can also watch it on youtube and see some fancy images to go along with what we're talking about and if you're watching on youtube you can subscribe on any of those services i've just mentioned so soundcloud.com forward slash moegamer or just search for us on spotify and itunes you can find us there as well just remains for us to say then as always thank you very much for watching and or listening and we'll see you again next time
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games, new and old, every weekday. Every month, Moe Gamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favourite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.